Welcome to Victory Fellowship's online podcast library. We hope you enjoy this message today. Now, I, I, a minute ago, I asked you who was the, the greatest giver in the Bible or in the, or in the history of humanity. And, and um, you know, of course, I told you it was David. Well, if I had to say who was the, who was the greatest um, storyteller of all time in the Bible, who would you say? Of course, it's Jesus, of course. No one, could, no one ever spoke like that man. That's what they said. When they went to, they sent the, the temple police to, what a strange term. They sent the temple police to arrest Jesus. And they came back without him and they said, well, why didn't you arrest him? And they said, no one ever spoke like that man. He said he speaks with authority. And um, so... So he was, he was the greatest storyteller of all time. And if I had to pick his greatest of all stories, I'm sure there's a lots of awesome ones, but I'd have to say the story of the prodigal son is the greatest story that he told. Um, and I wanna, I w- that's what I want to share with you today. And I wanna, we're going to talk about, we're gonna talk about running, running back to God today. We're talking about the prodigal son. We're going to start in Luke chapter 15, starting with verse 11. I'm going to read the first part of this story where Jesus said, he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. He wanted his inheritance before his dad died. Now, if I, want, I, I, I encourage you, that's not a good way to, to have great family relationships. To ask for your, your portion of your dad's inheritance before he dies is not wisdom. But that's what he wanted. It's not good for the other brother, I'm sure, didn't appreciate it. And I'm sure the dad didn't appreciate it. But the, he, so he asked for the portion of his goods that falls to me. So he divided to him. The father gave him his portion. And not many days after this, the younger son gathered all together, got all of his stuff together, got his, his inheritance together, and he journeyed to a far country. And there wasted his possessions with prodigal or riotous living. He lived, you know, in the world, world, a worldly lifestyle. He went and wasted his money. It says later on that he wasted on, on, on drinking and on prostitutes. Uh, he went, he had spent all, he, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. Now, that's probably the worst situation for a Jewish boy to find himself in. Feeding pigs, that's not good. So he would, he would have gladly filled his stomach with the, with the food or the pods that the swine were eating, but no one gave him anything to eat. So what, what an incredible story. We see this story of this young boy who had lost, he had lost everything. It's, it talks about how he had gone to a far country. He'd gone far away from home. And, you know, this is a story of uh, a story about, about you and about me. Some of you have wandered far from your spiritual moorings, wandered far away from your father, far away from the God of your fathers, and gone out into a, a far country and lived in ways that you never dreamed that you would live. You know, I, I, I made some choices in my life that caused me some, some great heartbreak and cost me, um, it cost me, it cost me a lot. And it, I went and found myself doing things that I thought I would never do in a million years. 
Some of you have found yourself in positions you never dreamed you would be in, doing things you never dreamed you would do, with things happening in your life, in you and to you, that you never dreamed would take place because of poor decisions, because you went far away from your moorings, you went far into another country, and you found yourself without, any, without anything to eat, spiritually speaking. And it says, it says here, that next it says that there, there came a great... Famine. Everyone say great famine. There came a great famine in the land. Now this, this is talking about, this is a, a spiritual story, and it's talking about a spiritual famine. It's talking about a famine for, for real food that feeds the soul. This is talking about a famine for the Word of God. It's one thing to not have physical food for your belly, it's another thing even more serious and more destructive to not have spiritual food that satisfies the longing of your soul. Your soul needs more than just physical covering, physical food, clothing and finances and protection. We need, we are spiritual creatures with spiritual needs in our life and we have our greatest need of spiritual food in, in, our, in our lives and in our bellies. So he wandered far from he wandered far from his home, and he had a famine came for the for the word of God. He found himself in places and circumstances that he never thought he would be in. Now let's go to the the, the next part of the story. As we see what happens to him, he says, "I will arise, and I'll go to my father." He says he came to, he began to come come to his senses. He came to himself. Verse seventeen. He came to himself, and he said, "How many of my father's hired servants?" have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger. He said, I'm, my dad had, had everything. I'm, a, I'm the son of a wealthy man, but even the, the, my dad's servants, the workers on my dad's farm are way better off than me. I'm going to go back and see if he'll hire me on and let, it, let me just be a, a worker on his farm. At least I'll have clothes and food, and I'll be back there near my father's house. So he says, I'm going to, this, so he began to rehearse inside what he was going to do. I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But make me like one of your hired servants. So he arose and he came to his father. You know, he had all sorts of ideas of what it was going to be like when he got home. But what happened and what he thought was going to happen didn't even resemble one another. He never dreamed in a million years the kind of reception that he was going to get. It says when he was still a great way off, his father saw him. The father saw him when he was a great way off. Why? Because the father was waiting with expectancy, waiting for his son to come back home. It was the hope of his life. It was the greatest hope in the father's heart that one day my son will come to his senses and my son will come back home. His father saw him and had compassion. And here's the most shocking picture in the entire Bible. It's he, he ran, he lifted up his robes, the father. This is a picture of our heavenly father. This is our Heavenly Father and His response when sinners make a 180 and start heading back toward home. When they come to their senses and say, I've destroyed my life. I want to come back to my Father's house and turn away from my sinful lifestyle. So He began, He lifted up His robe, the, dad, the Father did. He saw Him, had compassion and ran 
And then it says he fell on his neck. He, he, embraced, he violently tackled his son, fell on top of his son in the streets, fell on him. That's how this is described. And he started to kiss him, started to kiss him on his neck. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven in, in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now this, this is what everyone in, the, everyone in the world, whether they have come to this conclusion or not, we are all looking for sonship. We're all looking to have a father. We, we're all looking to be in right relationship with our father. But we're looking for sonship, listen carefully to me, we're looking for sonship without repentance. We're looking for greatness. We're looking for our inheritance and wealth and greatness and sonship on our own terms. We want to do it our way without doing it the Bible way, without turning our back on the sinful behavior of our past and of this world. We want to go and get all of the benefits of sonship. We want our inheritance. We want it now. We want to live the way we want to live. We want to be great. We want people to, to know who we are. We want to have influence in this world. But don't talk to me about repentance. That's so yesterday in old fashions. People are not repenting today. People are just becoming relevant. They're living like the rest of the world and they're becoming great and they're having what they want in this life. Well, that's exactly what this young boy did. And it brought destruction into his life. And he came to the conclusion that I, I want to go back even if I don't get to be a son anymore. Even if I'm just going to be a servant. I'm going to go back to my dad. I'm going to turn away from, from my rebellious ways. I'm going to come back to my father's house and see what happens. He had no idea that he would be accepted, fully loved, and embraced. And he wouldn't ever become a, a servant in his father's house, but he would become a son and come right back into the, his, his inheritance as a son. Now, there's some, there's some stuff in this story that, that just glimpses of, of spiritual revelation that Christ put there on purpose that I want us to, to notice and take a look at today. In verse, in verse number 20, it says, he arose and came to his father, and when he came, was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. I've got a short quote from Bishop Ellicott. He says, when, when we have felt the father's kiss, though still confessing that they were unworthy to be called sons, we cannot be satisfied with anything less than sonship. See, this is what hooks us. This is what hooks us. We thought it was, we thought it was just having our own stuff or, or having our own, our own um, finances, our own house, our own career, our own reputation, our own fame. We thought it was, it was all of that. We thought it was the Father's stuff that we were wanting. We thought it was His inheritance that we, want, we were wanting. We had no idea that what we were really wanting in our heart of hearts was the Father Himself. That's what we wanted. That's what we needed. We were created not for this stuff. We were created for him. And this is where the son had missed it. He had missed it. He came back because he had lost everything physically, but he had no idea what he was about to gain. He was going back hoping to find a, a warm bed and a job. And he came back and he got the father and he got the father's love. That's what he was missing and he didn't even know it. It was the Father's presence that he longed for. 
It was not the father's house, the father's wealth, the father's company, the father's fame, the father's protection. It was the father that he was longing for in his heart of hearts. And that's, the, that's where we're, we're all, that's where we all are. You know, it's not that we need to be, need to have a, 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 a huge um, a financial income in our life. It's not that we need lots of stuff. It's not that we need fame or fortune. We need to be loved. We need to be loved by God. Amen. Now let's, let's look at a couple other things that Jesus put in this story for our um, enjoyment and for our pleasure. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight and no longer worthy to be called your son. That the father said to his servants, after he got up off his boy, he turned to the servants and he said, I want you to go get the best robe and put it on him. So now we're talking about, not only we're talking about acceptance, we're talking about celebration. And we're talking about, it's, he starts to give the, these pictures, he's painting a picture of like a, like a wedding ceremony. This, this short little phrase is the heart of the gospel message. He's, took, he's gonna take off this boy's robes, these robes of slavery, these robes of rebellion, these robes of prodigal living and righteous living. He's gonna take off the, the filthy garments from his ruined life and he's gonna put on him a, a brand new robe of righteousness. He's gonna clothe him in the righteousness of, of Christ. I want you to put on the, the best robe, put the best garment on my boy. Put it on this royal robe on him. Now this, of course, is a picture of the wedding garments, of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You know, the father, there's another one of the stories that Jesus told, and he told the story of a, of a great wedding celebration, and he invited people to this celebration. There was only run, one requirement to be able to come into his celebration. You had to have the wedding garment on. You have to put on the righteousness of Christ. There has to be a, a taking off of the old and a putting on of the new. Now, what is this, this garment of righteousness, and how would one put it on? You see, the Bible says that our, all of our own works and our own attempts to be righteous, our own attempts to be good people, our own attempts to be religious and right in the sight of God, the Bible says they're like filthy rags, they're like stained garments before the Lord's. He'll have none of it. He'll have none of, of human works or human efforts. He's not looking for people that are trying to be good or trying to be moral people. He's looking for people that have been justified by grace through faith. For people to come to God and recognize that I'm a sinner. I need the help of God. I need to be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And he takes off the, the robe of your past, the robe of your filthiness, the robe of your own self-righteousness, the robe of your own religious works and deeds, and takes it off and puts on us the garment, the whiteness of Jesus Christ. We're clothed with Christ himself. We are dressed with Christ. We put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what this story is about. It's about the, the righteous garment of Christ coming on this, this young boy. And it goes on in verse 22. After this, he says, bring out the best robe. And then he says, put a ring on his hands. Put a ring on his hands. This is another picture of, of the wedding. He's, the, he's got the wedding garment on, and now he's got the, the wedding ring that he's putting on his finger. 
This ring is a, is a picture of this incredible covenant that we have with God. It's the physical emblem of this relationship that we have. It's a, it's a, it's a ring that we wear. It's a mark of, of something pure and something powerful that we've experienced in Christ. We have the garment on, and now we're putting on this, this ring. The Bible talks about this, this ring. Look in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee. The word guarantee in the Greek language is the word engagement ring. It's the Erebon. It's the engagement ring of our inheritance. It's the Father's pledge. This is exactly what this heavenly father, this father in the prodigal story was taking the pledge, the guarantee of the future inheritance. You've wasted your past inheritance, but here's the, the guarantee of a spiritual heritage, my son. And this, this, this today in our experience, just as we put on the, the robe of righteousness in Christ, we put on this, this engagement ring. And this engagement ring is the Holy Spirit himself. It's the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's the covenant of promise. It's what's been purchased for us by the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, the blood was shed, not just so I can go to heaven. This blood was shed that I can have a relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and the guarantee that I've of this future inheritance that I have. The guarantee is wall-to-wall -wall Holy Spirit, the baptism with the Holy Ghost that comes upon us, the fullness of God. Hallelujah. Oh, we give you praise, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that this salvation is more. It's forgiveness of sins. Oh, but it's way more than that. The forgiveness of sins is the introduction into this new life. I'm washed with the blood and clothed with this garment. Why? So I can come in. So I can come into something. And when I come into the room... I come into the room that's filled with the glory and majesty of God himself. He fills me from head to toe. He baptizes me and immerses me in the Holy Ghost and with fire. And now I'm filled with God himself. This is my heritage. Oh, the first inheritance this boy wanted, he wanted the, the earthly inheritance, but the father had a heavenly inheritance that he wanted to give him. And that heavenly inheritance was the awesome third person of the Trinity that fills us with his presence. Amen. Now the last part of this verse, it says, he bring, if he told him three things, is to bring out the robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hands, and then put shoes, put sandals on his feet. So this, of course, this talks to us about walking. Colossians 2, 6. Therefore, if, you, if you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, if you, how many of you have received Christ Jesus the Lord in your life? You've re received Christ. So if that's true, walk in him. He's given us a new way to walk. We don't walk like the world walks. We don't live like the world lives. We don't talk like they talk. We don't do the things that they do. We've been brought out of the worldly behavior. We've been brought out of prodigal living. Not only have we been forgiven, we've been changed. 
We've been given a new heart with a new purpose, a new delight, a new goal, a new way, a new reason to live our life, a new purpose in our life a new way to live, so he's brought us out and he's brought us in to this incredible brand new life that I might walk in him, that I'm a different kind of person than I used to be. Amen. Now he goes on, verse, verse 23 and verse 24. This is, um, he's, now we're getting toward the celebration part. He says, um, verse 23, bring out the fatted calf. We've been, we've been waiting, we've been preparing this special beast, this special calf for this day. Bring out the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and he's alive again. Now you know this, um, there's so many pictures that can flash into our mind. This picture of course, one of the first things that has to come into your mind, if you know the Bible, if you know the Old Testament, this is a picture of a, of a sin offering, this offering for sin. This was, a, this was the foundation of this new relationship. The father wasn't just overlooking the former life that this boy had participated in. No, he's saying there is, a, there is an offering, there's a sacrifice, there's a, sacrifi there's a sin offering that we can, we can celebrate. The sins of my son have been atoned for, they've been covered. The, the fatted calf has come. Christ, the sin offering has come and he's been offered on the holy altar that our sins can be forgiven. Christ is our, our sacrifice. He is the fatted calf offered for the sins of mankind so this 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 offering was made so the celebration could begin now this verse 23 and 24 says bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this my son was dead and he's alive now he's alive again he was lost and is found and they began to be merry so this is a joyful celebration this fatted calf, the calf became the food. This Christ becomes our bread. He becomes our daily meal. He becomes our feast. And this celebration, it's a celebration of life. We come into to church and it's a, a celebration of what we've come out of. And it's a celebration of this new life that we've been brought into. It's a picture of the celebration that's about to take place. All of this, can you imagine? Can you imagine just beyond the surface of this story? All these pictures, Jesus is teaching and sharing the story, and, and there's a picture of a wedding taking place. There's a, a garment of righteousness. There's a ring. There's new shoes. There's a, a great celebration, a wedding celebration. He's right on the verge. He's describing the, great, the next prophetic event that's about to take place at the return of Jesus Christ for his sons and daughters. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Are you ready for that great day? Have you made your spiritual preparations have you put on the garment are you wearing the wedding ring are you walking in the ways of Jesus Christ and if so it's this is this is what church is all about we come in to celebrate what we've come out of what we've come into and we're celebrating what's about to take place in the days ahead of us we're no longer what we were we're experiencing this life now and we've got a promise of a heritage of sons and daughters for this great celebration now here we come to the the interesting part of the story there was 
this story was being told to basically two groups of people that were always there at, at, these, at these meetings with Jesus teaching. There were the sinful people, and there was the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders. And the, there's, they're always, both of the characters were in the story. Of course, the prodigal was the street people, the people living a sinful lifestyle. The Pharisees were the other brother, the older brother. You know, the scary thing is, there's some of the younger brother and the elder brother in all of us. I don't want to be either one right now. I want to be, I don't want to be that person that I used to be, and I don't want to be that other person. But, you know, so we have to, let's listen to what Jesus said about this. So this older son was in the fields, and as he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. He knew exactly what was taking place. His dad had been waiting for this boy to come back. It was his son's greatest nightmare, this elder son. The worst thing that could possibly take place, that there would be a celebration of the return of this son. He didn't want to see it take place. Now, as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants. He could have gone to the dead, but instead he went to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he's received him safe and sound, your father has killed a fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Why was he angry? He was angry. He's going to, we'll, we'll see him open his mouth here in just a second. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I've been serving you. Now listen, it's, for him, it's all about service. It's all about his works. It's all about what he did. It's not about the father. It's not about the father's love. It's not about the sacrifice. It's not about forgiveness of sins. It's about him and his accomplishments. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, it's not even my brother, as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with the harlots, no one ever mentioned the harlots till now. You killed a fatted calf. And he said to him, son, he's, now the dad starts to reach out to the Pharisee, to his son. He says, son, you're always with me. And all that I have is yours. You, you never asked me for any of the goats. You never asked me for a party. It's all been yours all along, son. It's yours. Everything I have is yours. You've been acting like a servant and rather than acting like a son all these years, you've been working and striving like it's your own, your own, your own, your own thing to do. So you're always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. So we never know whether the the brother came into the celebration. But you know, it's, it's amazing how that, as much as things change, they don't really change. I think back to the very first Sunday that we had church. is the, the last week of January, 1979. We opened our doors for the first time. And there was, 
I don't have time to explain the details. It was very unusual details, but there was a, there had been a former congregation and there had been a, a fight over the control of the, the property that was there. And I, we ended up um, using, having this building given to us, having no idea that there were some legal challenges to it. And um, there was a former congregation, at least one family that was left over from a past church that had been there. And they had to, they, they, they decided they were going to picket. So they were picketing when we opened our new church. They, they picketed us for 12 months. They had all sorts of signs out there. You know, they thought, for some reason, they thought, well, they thought I was from California because that's where I went to Bible school. They said, Jim Jones, they called me Jim Jones from California has come and stole our church. And um, they were picketing. And, and our, the, it's, it's the, the, that first week, there was, you know, young people started coming to the church. We were, we were all, I was 26, Pierce was 21. The, I was like the oldest dude in the church. Everybody was younger than me, and they were you know, coming in, these young people coming to church. And one of these girls came in that, that first Sunday, and she, you know, this was, you have to, you know, give me a little break, this is 1979. She was wearing pink hot pants. You probably don't even know what those are. Not, not, not good. She was wearing pink hot pants when she came to church that Sunday. And, oh, it was like, oh, my gosh, it was the most, the, 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 the elder brothers out there with the picket signs were, went nuts. They were yelling and mocking and saying things to this, this poor girl. You know, it's like, what, what, where do they want her to go? Would they rather be her back out on Bourbon Street? Would they rather be out in Fat City? She's, she's coming back. She's coming to the Lord. She's coming to make things right with God. You know, it's one thing. It's one thing to, to be a, a so-called Christian and live a, a carnal lifestyle. It's another thing to be out there living like the, like the rest of the world and come back because you want to change. That's what we want. That's what we want. We're, our doors are open for the prodigal sons and the prodigal daughters to come in, for their lives to be, to be changed and for us to be washed and for us to have a, a different robe put on us and for us to have the ring of the Holy Ghost put on us and for us to have new shoes put on our feet where we begin to walk and live and talk in a different lifestyle, that we don't stay the way we were. We don't stay messed up like we were. That we come in one way and then we're changed and transformed by the grace of God. And we begin to, to celebrate because we were lost and now we're found. We were prodigals doing our own thing. And the Father came and embraced us. He came and showered us with his kisses. He dressed us with his garment of righteousness. He, he put a ring on our finger and he put shoes on our feet. He killed the fatted calf and begin to dance and celebrate. My son who is lost has been found and he's come back home. This is the story of, this story that Jesus told is the story of Christianity. This is what we are. We're calling out to the prodigal sons and daughters. Oh no, not that, not, not that it's okay to sin, but there's another way. There's a better way to live your life. There's forgiveness and mercy in the Father's house. There's a new garment for you and a new way to live your life. There's acceptance, there's love, there's transformation, there's healing, there's new hope. There's a new way to live. And it's a real thing. Thanks for listening. Check out our website at www.victoryfellowship.net for service times and for more information.